Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. The reading today is Ephesians chapter 3. God's marvellous plan for the Gentiles. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. A prayer for the Ephesians. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that passes all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations for ever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning uh, from me as well here in the church building at uh, Emmanuel Church, South Croydon. And if you're not too far away, I do hope uh, that the light dusting of snow has not um, made inconvenienced your morning too much 
this morning. It's lovely to be able to connect with you in this way. I wonder whether from what you know, you would call Jesus Christ a mystery. Is Christ a mystery? Most people, I guess, would say, well, it depends what you mean by the word mystery. Uh, In our house, we're not the best at keeping track of our possessions. And there's always something that at some point was very clearly uh, in general public circulation. And then one day it disappears completely, never to be seen again. And I'm talking about something, not a small thing, you know, something bulky like a suitcase or uh, a coat. Where has it gone? The question comes. I don't know. It's a mystery, someone replies. By which we mean we we just don't have any idea at all. We have no clue. Let me say, if for you, Jesus Christ and the Christian faith is that kind of a mystery, as in so far you just have not been able to make head nor tail of it in any way, well, it's fantastic to have you with us this morning, because I do hope that by the end of our time this morning, you will have a fair bit more to go on. Do stay tuned. Then again, when we're talking about mystery, uh, we may mean more something that's hard to grasp, something that's mysterious. It's it's too different, too elusive for us to totally get a hold of. Now, if we as Christians believe in an infinite, all-creating God, if we believe in one who has no beginning and no end, one who is Trinity, three uh, persons, one God, one who walked this earth in human flesh, well, then undoubtedly there is mystery there. At least some of him must be beyond our human understanding. Then again, perhaps the word mystery may have come to be something of a stumbling block for you. You're happy that, you know, we can't know everything about God, but you're pretty sure it should be possible to know something in a meaningful way, in a way that would really help us know how we should live and act. And perhaps you've come across talk of mystery that seems to so shroud God in uncertainty that Actually, we can't seem to say anything confidently about him at all. Is the Christian faith a mystery? Well, as we'll see today, the Bible is big into mystery, though perhaps not quite as we would expect. The Apostle Paul addressed it in today's passage, as we've already seen, in his letter to the church at Ephesus. Now, if you've got one to hand, uh, you'll be helped by grabbing a Bible And do turn to chapter 3 of Ephesians, and you'll see it there. Chapter 3, verse 1, begins as follows. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, dash. That's what it says in my Bible anyway. At which point, um, he seems to kind of turn off the main route, as it were, Paul does. And he now wants to just deal with this issue of the mystery of Christ. And he actually only gets back onto the main road, as it were, in verse 14. If you look down there, it says, For this reason I... It's the same words as he's had before. Everything in between is a digression. Paul uh, was probably dictating to a scribe. He'd been explaining how God has shaped Christians of all backgrounds to come together to form a spiritual house in which God dwells. And he was going to go straight on Uh, to what we've already heard beautifully taught this morning by the Mwandas. But as he speaks of himself as a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus there in in verse 1, he suddenly thinks, hang on, hang on. That probably requires some comment. I mean, 
People do occasionally appeal to some kind of status or position to convince us in a letter, don't they? Dear Henry, as your mother, I beg you to eat more than just Aunt Bessie's microwave toad in the hole during lockdown or something like that. But I'm guessing not many of us have received letters that lean on this particular position of authority. Dear Karen, as someone currently in prison, I recommend you to do this or that. But that's where Paul is starting from. Now, if being in prison isn't normally a basis for authority, what is it? Well, it's normally a cause for concern, isn't it? You're in prison, Paul. Hang on, hang on, Paul. You're in prison. What have you done? Where has it all gone wrong? And so Paul thinks, okay, okay, I can explain. And to explain, it's going to involve me, verse 3, talking about the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. And Paul goes on to tell these Christians at least three things about this mystery. Number one, first of all, it's a mystery that has been revealed. Do follow on from verse 4. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which has not been made known to, to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. When we say mystery, we think of things that people have tried to uncover but failed. When the Greeks said mystery, they meant things that at some point were hidden, but then at some later point were revealed, at least to some few people. And so it was in a profoundly personal way for Paul. Paul was one of those apostles. But previously, he had famously been a persecutor of Christians. In fact, he prided himself uh, on his career in finding and eradicating the followers of Jesus. But on the road to Damascus, uh, he'd had a revelation. The very Jesus whose followers he'd been trying to get rid of appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, Paul had been a very religious man up to that point. He had lived, according to what verse 5 puts, as the pe- what people in other generations had known. And up to that point, he'd been convinced that the way of Jesus was a sort of cancer on the, on the Jewish faith. It was going to do it no good. But then through that experience of revelation, God showed Paul in Jesus Christ the very opposite. He showed him that Jesus was the one in whom all of these things that he sort of knew about before came together. Now, it's not that there hadn't been prophecy before Paul's day, prophecy to trace back over the centuries that gave a good indication of what God was going to do, but there was a crucial bit that had always been missing. And it's in that word in verse 4, administration, or economy, perhaps, better told. The administration of God's grace. It wasn't clear yet before Jesus came, how was it all actually going to work? And that is what has now been revealed. To Paul and the other apostles, it's been revealed that all of this, all the blessings of God are to come about through the death of Jesus of Nazareth on the cross. God revealed that to the apostles, and they've made that revelation accessible to the generations after them by preaching it and then by writing it down as we have it in the scriptures. Now that means two things. 
Number one, if you're searching, there's an answer. If you're looking at the big questions, who am I? Who is, who is God? What are we all here for? What is the secret of existence? Or are we just bound to look up into an eternal blue sky of mystery? Well, the answer is here, and you don't need some clever code to unlock it. It's been out there, actually, for the better part of two millennia. It's the good news about Jesus who died on the cross and rose again. And if you're unsure of how any of that stuff works, um, well, it isn't obvious, but it has been revealed. And I'd love to talk you through some of it or put you in touch with someone who could do that. One of the reasons to go on Christianity Explored, uh, the course that we're currently running, is, is that it helps to answer precisely that question in its focus on the cross. Please do be praying for that course as it goes on. And incidentally, that's also why we make such a big deal of preaching and studying the Bible here as a church. Because in the scriptures, we have the testimony of the apostles. Here is the revelation of God. So if you're searching, there's an answer. But, but secondly, and that's the, kind of the flip side of that, if you've grasped the cross, you've got it. If you know about the cross, no FOMO, no fear of missing out. You know that horrible feeling uh, before an exam? Um, where someone tells you suddenly that you know, they've prepared all about the English Civil War and you didn't even know it was on the syllabus. Well, there's none of that with God. Um, certainly, we can all grow in our knowledge of God, but it's not like there's some other hidden level that we need to be worried about that we're suddenly going to need to know. Without that, it'll all go wrong. No. The mystery has been revealed. The mystery has been revealed. And second... As we saw last week, the mystery is that all people have access together to the blessings of God through Christ. Verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Jews and Gentiles, once so profoundly separated, now in Christ are one. And there's two lovely images. I wonder whether you picked them as we went through there that Paul provides. He talks about co-heirs. The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Imagine for a moment a servant girl uh, in, the, in the Middle Ages in some ancient house of royalty. Every day she works long hours in the kitchens. And from time to time when she goes out uh, to fetch some water, sometimes she catches a glimpse of the king's daughter, almost the same age as she is. And there she is, she looks at her, and she's beautifully dressed, she's at ease, she's got all these ladies in waiting at her beck and call. And this little servant girl says to herself, hey, just imagine, imagine what it would be like for me to be a royal daughter too, to be able to join the princess now, and then one day to share in her inheritance in this vast estate instead of my uncertain future. Well, that dream is a reality for every follower of Christ. We're adopted into God's family. We are co-heirs of all his riches. We've got glimpses of those riches now. But one day when we die, we will together inherit what Paul calls, verse 8, the boundless riches of Christ. The boundless riches of Christ. I wonder if you're trusting in Christ, do you realize that you have boundless riches. 
Jeff Bezos, you may have noticed, the founder of Amazon. He's in the news this week after stepping down as CEO to concentrate on other ways, ways of administering his colossal fortune. And there's a fair bit of thinking he's got to do. It is, after all, $192 billion. That's a lot of money. But the thing is, it still has a number on it. And therefore, if the riches of Christ are indeed boundless, the most destitute believer in the world has immeasurably more than Jeff Bezos stored up for them. Isn't that a thought? And it's going to last forever, unlike Jeff Bezos' fortune. In fact, did you know the wonderful thing about the riches of God that he gives us is that you can pass it on with no inheritance tax whatsoever. You know, if I, if, I can, if I can share Christ with my kids or my friends or my family, he will be to them greater riches than any possible monetary inheritance or anything else I could think of. Co-heirs. And the second image that Paul uses is co-members. The Gentiles, he says, are members together of one body. Now, if you're interested in exploring this more, you can find more on this in my talk from 1 Corinthians 12 uh, last Sunday evening. But it is a wonderful picture. If I'm the toe, then you're the heel, and someone else is the hand, and someone else is the lungs. All of us, we're all different by design, but we're made to fit together as one body. One beautifully functioning body. No one greater, no one lesser, everyone required. And it makes you want to ask, doesn't it, if that's, if that's what we've been shaped into. Lord, what is my part in the church? Lord, I know I am absolutely necessary. Help me play my role. Co-members. So it's a mystery that's been revealed. It's a mystery about the inclusion of the Jews and Gentiles in the blessings of God. And finally, it's a mystery that leads to God's glory. Let me read from verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. God's greatest concern is for his own glory. God's greatest concern, even above our welfare actually, is for his own glory. And if you haven't heard it put like that, it may sound initially like a bit of a troubling idea. Certainly for anyone other than the supreme being to pursue their own glory would be wrong. But for God it's exactly a right. Because he is so good. And the thing about the mystery that we've just been talking about is it's, the way it works is it's specifically structured to bring God particular glory. Now, how does that glory get given to God? Well, think about his grace. That's what Paul mentions here already. God's grace in choosing Paul to be a lead missionary to the Gentiles. I mean, what an extraordinary choice. I mean, the Lord could have chosen anyone. If it had been you and me on the interview panel, I guess we would surely have gone for someone who was at least a little bit more on side. Someone with at least a hint of sympathy for Jesus Christ on his CV. But God chose Paul 
Paul, who calls himself less than the least of all the Lord's people. And he says that, I think, because he made a life out of obstructing God's purposes. And God chose him. And he chose him, I guess, because that way, it's a much more powerful demonstration of his power. When Paul starts preaching Christ, when there's such a turnaround in one person's life, there is just no other explanation. People look at him and say, God must have done this. Glory to God for his power and grace. So in that sense, uh, Paul's choice, God's choice of Paul leads to God's glory, but also God is glorified in this extraordinarily diverse choice of followers that make up his church. Reading from verse 10. His, that is God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this again is an extraordinary picture. I think we're to imagine a great heavenly court God has gathered every spiritual being, every power and rule and authority for a great demonstration of his wisdom. And what will he bring out? What will it be? What will exhibit A of his glory be? Will it be his stash of thunderbolts? Will it be a worked example of him creating a star? No, it is this, the church. And what is it about this church that brings him credit? Well, there's the audience looking on, and they can see lots of people gathered together. Now, they're not too bothered about that. I mean, lots of people have been brought together for various reasons in the history of mankind. We know about armies and nations and tribes, nothing special, people getting together with their own kind. Same background, wealth, language, color, culture, so forth. But look at this church more carefully. These people are of manifold different backgrounds, many different walks of life. The young caring for the elderly with no family ties between them. People of many different cultures meeting in one gathering and there seems to be more that unites them than divides. This is not normal. This is something supernatural. God must have done this. Glory to him for his manifold, his many colored wisdom. And so this mystery leads to God's glory. I wonder whether you have considered that God has put you deliberately in his church and put you there deliberately to bring you together with people who are not like you as a demonstration of his wisdom, as a way to his own glory. Well, how can we take that wonderful purpose for our church further? We've spent some time in recent months speaking about our racial diversity. But I'd love to encourage us as a church, and I realize this is especially hard right now, we're all kind of locked up, to fan into flame what I think is already here, which is that heart for the church worldwide. Since I've come to Emmanuel, I've met with a number of people whose faith has been completely transformed by getting out of their comfort zones and going to elsewhere in the world and meeting believers from completely different cultures. And I know that's been true of me in my own walk with Christ. When you find yourself halfway around the globe, 
Seeing Christ at work in, in someone who, frankly, in every other dimension of their life, you simply do not understand. You cannot make head or tail of their existence. When you see the same Christ in their life, the same love for him that you know, you cannot but give glory to God. For what else but a supernatural God could unite such different people? And I'm really praying that's something that we can grow and foster over the coming years. In that way, Paul is saying, God intends to display his glory. A mystery revealed, a mystery of inclusion of all people, a mystery that leads to God, God's glory, which brings us full circle to verse 13. Should we be worried about Paul in prison? No. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Why be troubled, says Paul, that I have ended up behind bars? I would do it a hundred times because I've ended up here in the cause, the glorious cause of making God's mystery, his loving purposes for the world, known. And that is worth it. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon Podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.